Any health-related information on the following show provides general information only. Content presented on any show by any host or guest should not be substituted for a doctor's advice. Always consult your physician before beginning any new diet, exercise, or treatment program. Welcome to Woodbury Reports with your host, Lon Woodbury, talking with leading professionals about how parents and others can help their struggling teens, preteens, and young adults. Now here's your host, Lon Woodbury. Welcome back to Woodbury, the Woodbury Report. I'm Lon Woodbury, located in North Idaho. Now, raising a child is a difficult job at best, but parents who have children with any emotional, behavioral, and learning problems find they need help, often professional help. Well, all parents need some help. But here's where we talk with professionals who are devoting their lives to help children and their families. Now, the topic today, and we're into <laughs> uncharted ground for me, do your laundry or you will die alone. And that's a, a message to young adults. And I have the author here. The author is Be- Becky Blades. She's the writer of that. And the whole thing, the whole uh, the thing is do your laundry, go die alone. Advice your mom would give if she thought you were listening. A guide for young adults. Well, Becky, glad to have you here. Good afternoon. Glad to be here. Okay, well, uh, we're going to talk about some things. One of the questions I'll have is why did you use dirty laundry to get her, your daughter's attention, and what uh, help can parents give their coming-of-age children, children heading off to college or leaving the home, and how is common courtesy? Is it still important? And a number of other issues. Well, well Becky, uh, we're talking about your book. She has a fantastic little book, Do Your Laundry, You'll Die Alone, and it has all kinds of things, like things break. That's one of the things you can look forward to. Or Pop-Tarts are the best quick-fix breakup food. It's funny. I read this to my office office staff when I first got it. Don't be afraid to wear a hat. Own a tutu and a boa. Uh, this is uh, geared towards uh, her daughter. Build a good reputation. It's simple but not easy. Uh, we'll talk about some of these things. But, uh, Becky, first off, uh, well, let me give you a little bit of her background. She's an artist, entrepreneur, strategist, civic leader, arts advocate, and an author on creative and adventurous living. She's taught and lectured at professional conferences and universities and topics including creativity, entrepreneurship, marketing, public relations, professional presence, the French culture, and women's issues. So, Kyle, working from that book, what does dirty laundry have to do with dying alone? That was the first question I had. <laughs> you know, it's just an, a, a trick to get my kids' attention. And I think that's the first lesson in trying to talk to this age group and help our kids is they have to be listening. And they're kind of programmed to stop listening to us as they come of age, as they start tuning in more to culture and their peers. So uh, I am not above uh, using cheap laundry scare tactics to get my kids' attention. Well, it sure got my attention. When I, when I came in, I had to read through it. What's this all about? 
it was um, it was a letter that I sent to my daughter, my firstborn, when she went off to college, and it started a year before she left when I uh, started feeling very anxious that while she had spent a lot of focus on her studies and she was she was pretty obsessed with getting into an Ivy League school, she didn't seem to me like she had um, become ready for life in general. For an example, she couldn't keep her laundry done. I knew she knew where the washing machine was. I knew she knew how much detergent to use, but uh, <laughs> evidence was that she did not find time or make it a priority to do her laundry. So rather than screaming at her for the whole last year she was home with us, I uh, I just kind of started writing things down in my journal that I thought maybe we hadn't talked about, maybe were points she missed, and it got into um, a conversation with myself about values and um, what kids or, or what young adults need to know. Uh, and I, things we try to keep things light and funny around our house, so it turned into a, a humorous little book. And I do art, so I put art in it. And um, just in time for my second to graduate this May, uh, I've I've published the book, and today it launches nationwide. Well, I understand that uh, uh, that you said it that she you got it to your daughter. She circulated with some friends. You got a lot of uh, requests for copies from uh, from Harvard. I think she was at, wasn't it? But uh, it showed a lot yeah, of popularity. Yeah. It struck a nerve. <laughs> it did. It did. And she was the one that you know called and said, "Mom, you know you're always encouraging us to get our creative work out. Uh, you should make this into a book, and and you should put your art in it." So. They really encouraged me, and, and as we know, as parents, when our kids are watching, uh, we, you know, we have to step up. Okay. Well, that sounds like it works, and you say it's now launched as a book. Uh, uh, what, it was just, just released uh, this week, or has it been around yeah, for a little while? No, it's just released today. As a matter of fact, April 1st, I, um, we've, uh, I live in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and in Kansas City, they um, have been doing some pre-sales for a month, and it seems to be pretty popular. The feedback uh, that I'm getting from um, particularly mothers is that uh, they they want their kids to know some of these things, some of the topics that are just light and fun they, they want to talk about, but they maybe don't know how to bring them up or they just, uh, the book kind of helps, helps bring some things up. Together. There's some of the things. There's some of the things there. Like what struck my mind is never promise a kidney to somebody in a bar after 2 a.m. Uh, <laughs> that <laughs> one caught my eye. That? Our, <laughs> didn't our parents say nothing good happens after midnight or something like that? Something like that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> considering my college days, I could uh, I, I can understand that. But there's a lot of serious <laughs> things behind this. Now, in general, and you mentioned the term in the material you sent me as sort of a coming of age because this is a a time when a girl or a boy is going off to college or to work or moving out of the house, basically. And there's some very serious things that you mentioned in there. So talk about the whole coming of age, uh, the how you see that, what's happening, all the struggles that are going on, both for the parents and for the child. Right. Well, things like, you know, I think this generation, every generation is different. This generation, we, we know from from data, uh, kids are not welcoming 
adulthood. They've been maybe sheltered more, maybe pressured more on some things, but not given the wings uh, to to feel self-sufficient. So, so that is part of a conversation. You know, one of the one of the sections in here is about um, just what to do with keys. You know, if you, <laughs> I, I wonder if kids know how to be on their own and protect their keys. Uh, what to do if you have, um, if you bump into somebody's car, I mean, you know, hopefully your your kid hasn't banged up your car, but what if they go off into life at the very first time they, um, they bump into a car in a parking lot? I mean, do they know to put a note on the windshield? Do they know not to put too much personal information on it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we witness with technology our kids doing things that, are, are shocking and maybe unsafe, and we can't come at them so seriously about that stuff. For example, um, I say never put anything on the internet that you would not want to discuss with in a job interview or on a first date or with your mother, <laughs> because you need uh-huh. some. You know, we, we kids know some things are appropriate and some things aren't, but I don't think they really stop and think of you know, what goes where, and they've, they've grown up with the internet. There's, they don't know a time that things couldn't be published immediately. Um, and they have, so and they like, haven't lived long enough to know of consequences or to have exactly. a good grasp of consequences. And so there's exactly. that experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the co- whole coming of age is, uh, sounds to me like this is a mother says, well, I tried to do a good job of warning her, but maybe they didn't hear some of the things, so I'd better try it again and put it down and write <laughs> Well, because we don't know what they don't know. We, 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 yeah. I don't think we spend enough time with them to, to really know, you know, because if they don't know how to boil an egg, they can Google that. It's, uh, do, do they know not to, uh, uh, not to, you know, give a kidney, promise a kidney to someone they <laughs> met in a bar? Do they know, mm-hmm. uh, not to give money to, um, you know, to, if they want to give money to panhandlers, they can, but maybe they need to discern uh, for themselves whether they can afford to give money if they can't pay their own rent. So a lot of uh, so you have a lot of practical advice in there. Uh, you talked about uh, all the distractions and probably raising a child. You you were d- dealing with that, and particularly in the internet age, uh, distractions. Well, what does distractions do that's harmful? Could you approach it from a little bit of that? They're so distracted with their smartphone, they well, we see the pictures of people walking into fountains and things like that. But what are some of the distractions? Right. And how can that be? How can it be harmful? In what ways is it harmful to be so distracted? You're not a kid's not really paying attention. Well, I think what we have to realize is they have they're bombarded with messages that are available to them, and and sometimes they feel like. They have to respond, or um, you know, they they're getting tweets, they're getting feeds, all kinds of feeds. If they if they do Snapchat, if they do um, Twitter, if they're on different social media, um, th- there's there's a very subliminal obligation to check it out or to respond. Yeah, they're afraid um, they might miss something. Yeah, one of the exactly, things they're afraid they might miss something. Mis- Right, and they're not worried about missing uh, something from mom, but those are the, uh, the, you know, getting information from people who care about you is different than getting information from pop culture. So, um, 
so that you know they need to hear that this and you know this book and the way I wrote it was an attempt to kind of sneak those things in in a playful way that uh, they would at least open up conversations. Mm -hmm. One thing I thought was cute is you threw in a few things like uh, you, you made a warning on multitasking. However, there's some things you can. You can, while you're doing the voice, call your mom. <laughs> right. You threw those in th several places in there. Don't forget mom. Don't forget mom, right. Be, remember your mother's birthday. Um, mm -hmm. Don't. One. This is one that my mom told me uh, when I asked her. I said, I'm, "I'm. I'm just about done with this book. Was there anything that you wish you had told me, or something you told me that I didn't hear?" And she said, "Well, I remember in college when you you called just frantic. You thought you were going to flunk all your classes and your life was over. Um, and in those days, you know, we had long distance, so I could only call once a week." And she and my dad just wrung their hands all week. And the next week I called, and, and I was happy-go-lucky, and everything was okay, and I forgot about that terrible call. She says, just just tell them to tell their mom when the crisis is over, <laughs> because a mom is <laughs> happy as her saddest child. Um, so I thought that was, that was a good point, that, you know, they're kind of uh, oblivious to their mother's feelings sometimes, so... Well, they try to take it for granted. Yeah. You're always there. Right. You can always be counted on. And you try to keep right. probably, I imagine, upbeat. Uh, well, yeah. And then they're of uh, that age is a little bit uh, uh, self-centered. Uh, this is sort of yeah. the age uh, era. They're called millennials. Are millennials missing something? And your just general, general experience in, in your conferences and your own kids and other kids that you've seen, are millennials, they seem to be missing something that uh, other generations didn't. Yeah, I think we say that about every generation, but millennials do seem to kind of miss a protocol. They, uh, we, we've perhaps made them a little uh, entitled and self-absorbed, um, kind of addicted to stimulation. Uh, but the home is the place where a lot of those cues come from, uh, and that that is what made me so nervous when I saw my daughter getting ready to go into the world. Is she had this she had this value system that uh, it was just about ready to be formed, and maybe it maybe it was too late. But um, you know her sense of priorities, you know, was set in the home to to a great degree. Um, and, and for me, with my firstborn and my second, that were very different. My first uh, ha was very into um, education and achievement and perhaps overdriven and maybe to the exclusion of some other things, some um, costing herself, I think, some happiness and some fun. Um, and maybe the other one was <laughs> on the other end of the scale. Uh, but that balance and... Um, they're both are, I, pretty classic. Are you saying your second? Are you saying you think your second daughter maybe had too much fun? <laughs> well, <laughs> the, the jury's out on that. She's <laughs> she's, no, she's, she's a senior, senior nice right, right now. now. <laughs> okay, I can I can relate item. to that. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. Well, the marvelous well, thing about this my book kids not to talk about them too much. Okay, that's fair. Uh, the marvelous thing about this book is a lot of lighthearted things like a uh, 
don't give away your kidney or promise your kidney after 2 a.m. in a bar and things like that. But there's a lot of serious issues that you touch on to here, like uh, you discuss topics like nepotism, birth control, distracted driving, finance, grammar. Uh, how did they fit in, and what were some of the suggestions you made in that? I presume you tried to do it in a lighthearted manner, too, but very serious topics. Right, right. Well, for example, birth control. I, I don't I don't need to have that talk with my kids. I just need to be sure somebody has. Or, I mean, I, 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 I don't need to have it again. And I think a lot of parents, um, they just want the conversation brought up. So in, in the book, I... I just make the point that uh, birth control fails 1% of the time. So a smart girl is going to maybe look at that and say, eh, maybe I need to do a little research. What, what's the 1%? <laughs> um, nepotism, for example, uh, you know, it's something that you hit in the job, in the job market, in school. And my point about nepotism is, yeah, you can hire your sister for a job, but she's going to be she's going to have to perform a lot better than somebody who's not your sister because when you hire a relative, the, the scrutiny's on. Um, so topics like that, I, I try to teach them, t- treat them lightly. The, the topic of disclosing too much on the Internet um, or of, um, oh, let's see, uh, you know, don't curse your your friend's boyfriend when they break up because they're probably going to get back together. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes. Things things like that. But you just bring it up a little bit. And I think, I think it makes them think, but for, for me as a parent, uh, I at least know that these topics have been broached and usually they'll talk to me about them. One of the, one of the topics that people have been thanking me for writing about is, a treatment of cell phones at the dinner table or the table. Mm-hmm. Um, entry number 140 says, pocket your cell phone during meals. If you're eating alone, it's your call. But if you're dining with others, your call is a slap in their face. Even looking at your phone is rude. Turn it off. Don't answer it if it rings. Put it away. <laughs> and then that's juxtaposed with the next one, which is put your napkin in your lap. And don't blow your nose with it. And don't hide your phone there. Nobody's falling for it. So they're just kind of putting it in 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 a lighthearted way that for my girls they know where I stand on those things and they know that I think it's rude to bring your phone to the table. Now they'll get out in the world and some people won't think it's rude to bring your phone to the table, but I think most everybody's mother would prefer they show up at the table without a phone. Yeah, and and maybe talk to somebody in person. <laughs> right, right. What right. a thought. Yeah, what a thought. Yeah, there's on a point that. in here that Facebook friend Facebook isn't friendship. Um, mm-hmm. y- yes, it's a great way to keep in touch with people, but you miss out on a lot. Hugs, for example, just mm-hmm. making the point that um, the people that the people that you look for that validation from on Facebook aren't the people in your life. They can't, they can't give you a hug. When the chips are down, they're just a face on a screen. And the serious thing there is there's a difference between a real friendship and a virtual friendship. Exactly. And I and think some not, of the you kids... You know, they're maybe not... Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. You said maybe not. Oh, oh well, they're, they're maybe not um, so into their friendship. They're, they're, I think they might be more addicted to the stimulation, and, uh, you know, and they, I think they know it's not friendship, too, if they can talk about it. Um, I have one daughter who is not, the younger one is not on social media at all. Because she not only, she doesn't like how it makes her feel, she doesn't like to be a slave to the device, but she really came to hate how people treat each other. And she's just too empathetic to, to really watch. And, and I, I don't, I have not seen it firsthand because I'm not on their, on their Facebook pages at this age. But I understand there's, you know, there's some cruelty and joking that is, um, designed to hurt people. So, one of my daughters is just too sensitive to be around it. Hmm. Well, that's that's probably wise and probably saves her a lot of problems in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And well, everything uh, place. I think. I presume she's she's seen the book. Uh, are you going to do something else for her, or is this going to suffice for for both of them and any other kids? Yes, I, they they both like it, and it's um, and they're both really fun and supportive in uh, the marketing of it this year. I, I try to get it done for my second graduation. She's graduating uh, this May, so I I had to rush and get it done so that it could be her um, graduation gift and for all her classmates. So that's fun. And my older oh, one is now a junior. Yeah. It's a, it's a little for both of them, and there's there's advice there that they, they both know which was intended for them. Uh, so it's it's by no means it by no means covers everything. So in the back of the book, there's several pages left for parents to fill in their own advice, and, and not only parents. This is a great book for aunts or uncles, um, you know, family friends to just buy and personalize along with that uh, graduation check that it seems to be so impersonal. Well, let's change the focus a little bit, and let's talk about mom or mom and dad and the emptiness syndrome. How does ah. that fit into all of this? That's, that's a whole topic in and of itself, but I'd like to hear your yeah. your observations on it. Okay. Yeah, it is, um, and I would not have known that I would, you know, fall victim to it. Uh, but what I've learned in just kind kind of doing the book and doing market research is that empty nest syndrome is a very real thing. It's a condition, and it is uh, it can be better or worse depending on different things. And one of the things that makes it worse is if we feel our kids aren't ready. So um, unbeknownst to me, writing the book was kind of therapy for me that I initially really had it bad worrying about my daughter leaving because I thought she's not ready for the world. I didn't feel like I'd been a good mom because some of her behavior showed that I really didn't cover business very well. Uh, but as I, as I worked through it for myself and I just focused on those things that I felt she needed to know to be safe and happy. I, I came to believe that she, she indeed was ready. It was maybe me that wasn't ready. And so this was a process of 
getting me ready. And uh, now with the second one, it's, it's we're certainly going to miss her. Um, but I know that it's it's more about me needing to change my life and, and get used to a household without her than worrying about how she'll be. Mm-hmm. And I think. Oh. It's a it's a very real sentiment. I've I raised uh, four kids. I'm a grandparent now, uh, but oh. I raised four kids, and so I've gone through that. And it seems to be a, a difference in perspective between mother and uh, and father. Because my reaction as a father, I had three daughters and one son, and my reaction was I didn't lose a daughter. I gained a bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and so I bet, I bet, and and <laughs> lots of uh, privacy around the house. Yeah, you know, my husband could only has two girls, but yeah, they do take up a lot of of uh, countertop space, don't they? Oh yeah, oh they they do. But that uh, and uh, yeah, I do. Uh, at times, I'd miss them, and she is so quiet. I really liked it when there's a hubbub going on, but I like it, and sometimes even more. And there's other, but I think uh, mothers have a tendency because they seem to get more involved in the in life, and so much of their lives are devoted to their kids. In many cases, I think the empty nest is uh, is more often a, a mother problem than a father problem. Uh, would you agree, or is that just me? I, I think that yeah, I think that's the case. I've I've actually met moms this year doing the book, and also my daughter graduating. That when they are dealing with their first leaving they'll just tear up at the drop of a hat. They they just, you know, they can't believe that this stage of life is over and that this person, because they, moms just tend to focus so much of their energies on their kids that it's a tremendous loss. It almost feels like you've, um, you've built this, um, you know, masterpiece and that somebody's just going to come pick it up and cart it away. It seems very... Um, finite and all, all, all encompassing, uh, and and it really is. And the, when kids when kids go off to college, we kind of fantasize that they're, you know, they're going to be coming home for weekends or holidays and summers. And uh, really, more often than not, it's it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty big shift. Oh yeah. Well, so, I remember. Uh, I do. Go ahead. I remember, my, yeah, my my brother, uh, my older brother, uh, summarized it, and it was true in my case, is that uh, um, he said, well, a freshman, I, I lived, I went to the university about 100 miles from home, so it was a fairly easy drive to come back home for weekends or something, and he says, you know, uh, a freshman, you see him about a couple, three times a, a month, uh, sophomore, maybe once a month, uh, junior, uh You'll see him uh, maybe two, three, four times a year, and senior, you'd be likely to see him for Christmas. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. But uh, are yeah, you familiar boy. with the uh, uh, the helicopter parent syndrome? Have you run into yeah. that or thought about that? Yeah. And sounds like that's one of the down things when somebody can't, the empty nest syndrome, and they just can't transition like you, sounds like you're getting yourself ready for, and uh, just can't give up, and so... I understand some colleges have even gotten a, uh, a parent relations staff to deal with the parents yeah. that are trying, that are getting and so involved in the kids and uh, choosing classes and the grades and all kinds of things like that. Uh, well, that would seem to be a downside of not not dealing w- well at all with the empty nest syndrome. 
Right. I, I bet. I bet it really is hard for those people. And and you know, it, that's what's made it hard on our kids too. We don't realize that we, you know we're we're talking about millennials and how hard a time they have it. And partially, it's because we have hovered and protected, and we've we've made having a child instead of just this casual thing that I think our parents did. We've We've tried to make our children one of our accomplishments, and, and while they are, and they can be the thing we're most proud of, uh, they aren't trophies for us. And when, um, you know, when the game's over, uh, it's it, it's their game. It's not our game. And helicopter parents, I think, they have a have a really hard time just letting go with that with that part of their identity. It sounds like one of the reasons, let me make an observation on the book. I think one of the things maybe you're doing in writing this book was preparing yourself for that transition. Yes, absolutely. I make, I make no bones about it. It, it. it was kind of, you know, twofold. It was, you know, preparing, it was therapy, it was journaling, which is my self-therapy. It was a creative project, which also kept me busy, you know, with some, some joyful work that was related to them, but wasn't, um, didn't involve them being there. I didn't, you know, we want to think about our kids. We want to talk about our kids. We want to be lovingly engaged with our kids, but we can kind of do it without them being there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that's what they, that's what they need when they're trying to spread their wings. Um, I think even my even my daughters right now they're they're very they're very nice about the book and they're supportive, but it's uh, it's it's my thing. They have their things and they want to be. This is the most exciting time of their lives, and I need to stay out of the way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's very wise. And one thing, and I, from my experience, and I've heard this, is that one of the things the kids need to do is, as you say. Try their own wings. It's a little bit like the hero's journey. They go off to college or go off to work or they establish themselves. And then maybe a few years later, and this very often happens, if they've been successful and if you haven't been too possessive as a parent, they'll come back as good friends. And you can right. have a friendship That's with them when you're you're always a parent, but you're not, not quite a parent in the old sense. Yeah, yeah. There's a... There's an entry in the book that um, I, I wrote for my daughters, but um, other women have said that they feel it applies to them too. And it says, it's okay to outgrow your dreams. The dream house of your childhood would not hold your wardrobe today. And the dream job of today may come to feel like a prison sentence tomorrow. What you hope and work for will change as you do. So don't hold tight to resolutions you may have outgrown. The true longings of your heart to flourish, to love, to explore, to create will always be part of you. And and I think that we need to both tell our kids that, that just because they, you know, they wanted to play college basketball and now they're not going to uh, or they don't want to. They don't have to be ashamed of that. And that we um, parents, we can outgrow our dreams to live in the suburbs and, you know, have little ones running around, um, we, we, we have to outgrow them. We, we have to move on. And we need to model that for our kids, too, that we know we can move on gracefully and um, 
that we can be intuitive about the relationship moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one thing that you talked here, and let's go back to the uh, common courtesy. I think you mentioned that common courtesy mm-hmm. is very important, and that's one of the lessons. I was looking at this, number 145, use titles of respect, and then goes on to offer your seat to anyone older or less healthy, and everyone deserves a response, just common courtesy. And uh, that's very important, and I, it seems like uh, uh, kids have sort of forgotten that. They get so self-centered, they forget that. Uh, could you talk a little bit about how important yeah. that is and and how it's something a parent needs to keep reminding them? Yeah, I mean, we, we can remind them of those specific things, and we have to because they have to repeat in our heads. Uh, I think we so many of the things that we know to do, it's because our parents just repeated and drilled or our teachers did or somebody. Well, those are getting fuzzy in today's society. Um, but what parents need to do even more is to help kids understand the foundations of those things. You, you, give, you offer your, somebody your seat on a bus because you're able to stand and it might be harder for them to stand, you know, an older person, or just out of out of respect. And, and what is that? A, a, a blind cultural respect for somebody older than you? Well, you know, if we if we value that, and maybe some value, you know families don't, um, at least you talk about that. But I, I, I think giving a few examples of just these behaviors. Uh, kids may not have heard them, they may not remember them, or they may be getting redefined by their peer group. So if, you know, if their peer group is talking to them 90% of the day, then our, the 10% that we get to squeeze in, and I'm sure it's not even 10%, um, it, it needs to reinforce those very important values. You know, saying please and thank you, um, you know, some families repeat that, and we have to model it. Um, but how do you say thank you? Um, I, I have, do a whole page on thank you notes because along with the uh, snail mail and the popularity of the Internet, people aren't, aren't writing thank you notes. They're not even, you know, they're not doing courtesy in the simple way because they don't put a stamp on an envelope anymore. So if we have to redefine it, we can redefine it. But I, for my, for my kids, for my sensibility, I think that talking about that a thank you is not only important, it's important for the giver and the receiver, it can be something that changes somebody's life or changes their day. And if you really think about what a thank you means and what not getting a thank you might mean, uh, that's what helps kids get out of themselves. And that needs to come from somebody that cares, you know, like a parent, mm-hmm. not, a, not on a Google search. Well, as you were talking, I was thinking, even just a very simple, almost routine thank you, at least you're paying some attention to the person and uh, totally true. in yourself. And, and I think that's probably your, the basis of it is, well, you, may, you have one whole section here, is be a good neighbor. Be the, I think is be the type of neighbor you'd like to have. And uh, uh, you'd like to have somebody say thank you when you do something for them. Um, so it just makes sense to, exactly. to do that. And so this is all part of uh, raising the kids. 
and uh, 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 and teaching them, and come coming, uh, you know, coming back and repeating, like uh, as I learned as a school teacher. Uh, the best way to for somebody right. to learn something is repeat it. And teachers do that all right. the time. So do parents. Right. <laughs> and we have to. Oh. As parents, we have to be. We have to be not afraid to annoy our kids. All right, because you're the parent, not a friend. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, let's and see. One ninety-six. One ninety-six. Show your jeans. Okay. Who? Show your jeans. Who's boss? That's that's sort of a funny one. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then show your dreams. Kind of who's one. boss? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it goes right. right into show your dreams. Who's boss? That's a very profound uh, uh, advice. That uh, you know. You're the boss of your dreams. You can have dreams, but you don't live in them and never do anything, is what the Zeems right. say. Right. Um, yeah, and that point talks also about uh, daring to dream big, that mm-hmm. sometimes we scare ourselves by our big dreams, and and we go back and we second-guess ourselves, and that's the kind of message you want your kids to have, and, and from their parents, that it's okay to dream big, and you and you. After you have a few bad days, you might think that you uh, overstated your goal. Uh, but, you know, shame on you. You can dream big because you are big. Um, make, you know, your dreams are uh, whatever you decide them to be. You make them up. You control them. They're not, um, you're not victims of them. And, and if you change them, and then the next page is where that you can outgrow your dreams comes. Um if you outgrow them, it doesn't mean you're a quitter. It just means that, that you outgrew them. But mm-hmm. having that conversation, you know, we, we live in this superhero world where uh, heroics are magical or they're, you know, superhuman. Uh, I think the, the old conversation about working hard for something until you get it is, has, has gotten lost and in our short attention span world. So I think it deserves a conversation. Mm-hmm. Here's a good one. Number 170, hide your chocolate. And that's talking about self-discipline at, at root. Right, <laughs> right. And it's not, that, it is talking about your roommate's self-discipline too, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah. And then practicality, if you want to, if you want to, if you want your chocolate tomorrow, maybe you'd better make sure it's not available in Tempting today. <laughs> right. It's both, it's something as good as chocolate, you know, you probably ought to, probably ought to stash it. Uh, and, in a, and a very safe, uh, right. very safe place. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of good things in here. Let's take it from another perspective. We have about 10 minutes left, and I want to give you a chance to uh, explain yourself a little bit more about yourself and what you do career-wise and how they could get your book or uh, get in touch with you. But uh, how might you have written this differently if doing it for son? Because I know you had two daughters, and some of them there I couldn't relate to because it's right. it's uh, female. Right. But some of them, a lot of them uh, would apply either. But how would it, might have you written it differently if you'd had a son? Um, you know, I have four brothers, so I at least do know the the, the boy gender. I think mm-hmm. the uh, I think I would write a whole lot about how boys treat girls and how they or women and how they understand the differences among women. Um, you know, girls, women tend to overthink things and agonize maybe about some relationship things. And I think boys 
maybe don't empathize uh, enough or understand the processes of women. Um, I hope that there's somebody out there that is teaching boys or maybe write a book like this that will, um, that talks over and over again about uh, respecting women and about, you know, the, the whole uh, date rape culture or no means no. Um, you know, I, I, we have to spend a whole lot of time educating our girls uh, about how men think or may not be thinking just to protect themselves and be safe. And mm -hmm. so I hope uh, well, and to, parents and to emphasize with that. them. If they don't understand boys, I, I run into a lot of women, and they seem to have a very dark view of, of men. And uh, Well, that's not true. Uh, boys have an, as rich emotional life as girls, I think, but they just don't show it. And so a lot of people think they don't have many emotions. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I think uh, it's very important that girls understand them. Uh, just as important as for boys to understand girls, and boys tend to get a little bit more physical and can be scary. Uh, sometimes I wondered if uh, if women don't have a love-hate relationship with men. They're attracted to them, but they're a little bit afraid of them. Yeah, I mean, women, um, you know, it's, this isn't consistent across the board, but, uh, you know, women tend to look for men who are um, stronger, that can be you know, they're they're looking for men at a certain time in their life to complete something that they think, <clears throat> um, you know, so, excuse me, those those um, romantic ideas of what they think they're looking for need to be challenged a little bit. Um, but but I agree. What what boys need to hear is, is that it's okay. Some of those feelings that society doesn't like them to show. Um, I think they need to be encouraged to to appropriately uh, be in touch with those. So that that might be if if somebody just write a a book like this for boys, that might be something different. Emphasize the feelings more because you didn't have to encourage girls to show their feelings as much. Right, kind of have to encourage girls, you know, where to where to put those feelings. And, you know, in a book, uh, and uh, one of the things about giving advice to young people or giving information to young people is, is learning what voice gets through to them. And the anonymity of a book uh, is, is really pretty good. Um, they, you know, they, they go searching on the internet, reading articles, they, they, they go digging for perspectives um, because they can depersonalize them. And this advice book, um, for me, for my daughter, even when it was a letter, it was a safe way to give her that information. She didn't have to look me in the eye. She didn't have to respond immediately. Um, and I think that might be maybe even more so the case with boys. I'm, I'm not sure. But I, I think they might be able to receive some information, um, you know, from a, from a third party that um, is a little less threatening than coming straight from us. Well, maybe that's an assignment for some uh, would-be writer out there with sons to put something together like this, because I like what you've done, very lighthearted, but even some of the lighthearted things behind that is uh, is some really uh, uh, profound statements, like here, 159, he just ran across, don't think you know how it feels to be a man or to be older than you are. 
And we're always making assumptions right. about other people. All of us do this, I tend to. We make assumptions about other people that I've seen so often to make an assumption about somebody when I meet them, and after talking to them, I was way off base. Right, and, and we, we think we're, and we want to be empathetic. Uh, I mean, I think, I, I wrote this one for my, uh, well, I, I've met a lot of people who think they're, they're empathetic, and you just want to say, remember, you can be empathetic to a degree, but I have no idea what it feels like to be a man, to be African-American. I have no idea what it might have felt like to, to live through World War II. I can assume and I can, you know, have some compassion, but um, I, I can't know. And now the funny thing about that entry, um, I had it. This edited by my my daughter's English teacher, and and she said, you know, I feel like that needs something else, and and she suggested the, but keep trying. Mm-hmm. And that's how I saw that there. You can't know, but but keep trying because that's what makes uh, you know a, a gentle and compassionate human being is to try well, that gives- to understand. Yeah, and that gives the uh, uh, that gives the message to the other person that you care, which is one of the most important things you can. You can give them right, right. And you know, when we're when we're helping someone through grief, if we can really realize that um, we don't know how they feel, it keeps us from saying stupid things like, you know, we try to relate to the person and say, you know, my dad died last year, and I, you know, people don't really necessarily want to hear that you understand. They, they, I'm not that you understand, but that you're that you feel pain similar to theirs. Um, so I think that's something that kids, until they live a little bit longer, won't get on their own. So I think it's mm-hmm. a, a topic worth bringing up. Here's another good one, number 128. Things break. One of the hardest parts of growing up is realizing that nearly everything breaks or wears out. If somebody realized that, there'd be a lot of frustration. I see people sometimes, something breaks in an inconvenient time, and they have a hissy fit and put a lot of energy into something, and, well, stuff like that happens. And then the yeah, next one, get yeah. a, yeah, a toolbox and sewing kit. <laughs> Those are a great pair. Yeah. You know, sending kids off to school is a hard uh, thing for parents in that transition time. And I'm going through it with my youngest daughter now, who's a senior in college. She needed uh, a new computer this year. Well, do you, do you, how much do we help her with a computer? How long is it going to last? When is this the last computer we ever help her buy? That code of um, if something breaks, if you have a sense of entitlement, and a lot of kids these days do, something breaks, they feel like they're entitled to a new one or they're entitled to from mom and dad to fix it. Um, and there's, a, there's an indignation because they didn't grow up kind of repairing things or keeping things for long periods of time. It's a tough subject for kids. Yeah, they've got to learn that somehow on that. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about more what you're doing, how people can get a hold of you. Uh, we have about uh, two minutes before they'll start playing the music and uh, uh, telling the, the end of the, the time. Again, yeah, uh, thank you. It's Do Your Laundry or You'll Die Alone, advice your mom would give if she thought you were listening. And the website is called laundryordie.com laundryordie.com and on there I've got uh, a section where I would love to people have people load on their own advice and kind of collecting uh, a little time capsule if you will so 
if you go to laundryordie.com, I'd love to get your advice. Also on there, you could order in all the usual suspects. You can get it on barnesandnoble.com, indiebooks, amazon.com. Um, I hope it's a, it's, it's a cute little book and is, is quite a great, um, you know, impulse buy to pick up because it's beautifully designed, that's beautifully produced. Um, and so, oh, it's marvelous. It fit right in a purse or a briefcase. Yeah, yeah, and kids like to, you know, it takes, it really t- it takes about 40 minutes to read, but you kind of, you kind of languish through it and chat about it. It's a great book club uh, book. So um, I hope that bookstores will will order them. It's uh, I'm an I'm an independent author, so I'm not through a big publishing house. So um, going to my website and asking your bookstore period is is the best way to get the book moving. But we're having a, a wonderful uh, launch week. Actually, the ebook is free this week for the rest mm-hmm. of the week. Let's see, what is it Tuesday? Um, so for yeah. the rest of this week um, on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Dot com. You can get the ebook free for your phone, um, for your Kindle. Uh, so that's one way to check it out without the hardcover, you know, without putting any money out. Okay, very good. I'll uh, uh, I'll listen to. I'll do that right away as soon as we finish. And your email. If somebody wanted to email you and ask a question. Yes, it's uh, Becky Blades. Uh, just like it, razor blades. Becky Blades at me dot com. Or you can contact through the website, laundryordie.com. And I also... um Okay. Well, we have to we have to cut it off here. It's been fascinating, Becky. Really appreciate this. Good luck with your book. Good luck with your kids. This is Lon Woodbury with the Woodbury Report. And be sure to be tuned next uh, next week when we have Nicole Hassler here. And it's going to be Sex and the Teen. That should be a good subject. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you.